So, uh, I want to talk to you about famous last words. Um, Over the course of history, there have been certain last words that have become famous. Uh, One that you might know already is the American Civil War General, John Sedgwick. Um, There were some Confederate sharpshooters uh, around about 900 metres away from where he and his men were stationed, and they were shooting at Sedgwick and his men, and their shots were causing Sedgwick's men to duck for cover. He, though, proud man that he was, strode out into the open, saying to his troops, why are you dodging like this? They couldn't hit an elephant at that distance. At which point he was promptly shot in the head and died. Here are some other famous last words, maybe a little bit more serious. This time from Hugh Latimer, who was the Bishop of Worcester in England. As he was being burned alive at the stake with Nicholas Ridley, the Bishop of London, for their Bible-believing, Reformation-shaped gospel convictions, Latimer famously said this, Be of good courage, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. I'm not going to say anything as profound as that. I'll just let you know right now. But sometimes it's not the famous last words uh, at the end of a person's life. It's the parting words at the end of their career that we remember. So here's one for those of you who grew up in Australia like I did. Um, Famous last words from the end of a famous career... I'm going to start the quote and I'm going to see if you can finish it off. I'll give you a clue. 1975. Ladies and gentlemen, well may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save... (laughs) Okay, you did better than the morning service. Well done. Uh, Look, as I stand up to, to preach right now for the last time as minister of this church. It's not my words that I want to leave you with. Uh, I want to do what I I believe is what I'm supposed to do, what I love to do, that is to leave you with the word of God, to take you back to his word, the Bible, and in particular, what he says to us in this last chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians. In fact, this is a place where Paul himself is sharing his own last words as he stops dictating the letter, so his custom was he would uh, speak and someone else would write down the words, Uh, but at this point in the letter, he takes up the pen in his own hand to write the last paragraph or so. So what is it that he wants to say in this last section? What is it that he wants to make sure he communicates directly to his Christian brothers and sisters? Well, he wants them to keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, That's the management advice made famous by Stephen Covey. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. It's memorable, isn't it? But it's true. And in, in some ways, you would know this is kind of what Paul has been saying all the way through his letter to the Galatians. But right now, at the end of the letter, he comes back and it's kind of like he says, quick, give me that yellow highlighter pen. I want to mark this up so that people can see it and not forget it. It's in the fourth last sentence. If you've got your Bible open, you can have a look in chapter six, fourth last sentence. If you're not fast enough, that's okay because I'm putting it on the screen. He writes, 
neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. In other words, they are not the main thing. This thing that the argument has been about amongst you guys, that's not the main thing. And you know if you've been here for this series, that's kind of been his point all the way along. Don't get caught up with these things that are peripheral. Uh, They will... As important as they might seem, they will have the effect if they become the main thing of leading you away from the gospel. It's kind of like what happened a few years back in Maroochydore. The Maroochydore Surf Lifesaving Club decided that it was time to build themselves a modern new clubhouse, which ended up looking like this. Now, that first one I showed you, That was the original one. There had been other clubhouses in between. But they they built this fancy new clubhouse that looks like this. And the thing is, according to a story in uh, the Sunshine Coast Daily, uh, the Lifesaving Club made sure as they built this new place that there was plenty of room for a brand new restaurant, uh, a fancy bar. They made sure that there was space for a gym. Uh, The directors of the club made sure that they had room for 70 poker machines. But it wasn't until they had finished building the new clubhouse that they realised there wasn't actually any room for the surf lifesavers themselves. And that's the life-saving club's core business. That The whole reason for their existence had literally been pushed out the door onto the beach, which is probably a good place for them to be. But instead of being in the business of saving lives, they had ended up being in the business of just being in business. They had neglected to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's a danger for churches too. It's what Paul wants to talk about here at the end of Galatians. So going back to that verse 15, he writes, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision actually means anything. They're not the main thing. So what is the main thing? He says what counts is a new creation. The main thing is that the gospel is being worked out in new creation. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you'll know the new creation, that the new heavens and the new earth, that's something off in the future. But he's not saying, so wait for that to come. He's talking about the new creation being lived out right now, like we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's talking about the transformation that begins happening as soon as a person becomes a Christian. So it's uh, emblazoned on our stained glass window over there, but let's stick it up on the screen. He says there in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ... And the reason I wanted to go back was, see those words that, if you look up on the screen, the words that come immediately after Christ, they're not actually there in the original language. Um, in the original language, it just goes straight on so that it reads, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And that's what he's talking about here in Galatians 6. The thing that is the main thing, what counts is this new creation. What counts is the transforming power of the gospel showing up, bearing fruit. That's what we saw it described as in chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit last week. So the main thing that you and I need to keep as the main thing is making sure the life-changing power of the gospel is actually being worked out in people's lives, changing them, 
showing evidence of God's new creation, God's work of new creation. See, it would be easy to read Galatians and think it's just an intellectual thing, um, that it's about theology and that making sure your theology is correct, that, that's a good thing. I'm all for that. But if making sure your theology is correct becomes the main thing, well, that might make you right, but you'll probably end up dead right. Theologically correct, but spiritually a corpse. So Galatians is not just about the technical details of the gospel. It's not just a theological treatise or essay on how someone gets saved. That's all in there, absolutely. We are saved by grace alone. We were singing about it at the beginning of church. Uh, that Galatians reminds us uh, that it's all about Jesus. It's a 100% supernatural. It's the gift of God. We don't contribute anything to our salvation. All of that is true, absolutely. But in the end, if you just have the, feel, the, the kind of technical knowledge of that, and that's it, then you're in trouble. What really matters is that this gospel brings about change in us. What really matters is that this, this thing that we believe uh, results in transformation in people's lives. Paul says, what counts is a new creation. And back in chapter 5, verse 6, what really matters is faith expressing itself through love. If you have a look at chapter 5, verse 6, it's another one of those make sure you keep the main thing, the main thing statements. And faith expressing itself through love and new creation really are talking about the same thing. So as we now dive into some of the, the details in chapter 6, the, the last thing I think I need to say before we get into that is just to do, do some maths that I'm sure you can do on your own, but one of those things that's so obvious we can miss it. If you have individual followers of Jesus being transformed, what you end up with is not just a bunch of changed individuals. What you're supposed to end up with is a transformed community of people. And that means a set of new creation relationships. So you can't just be transformed on your own and kind of exist on your own. The real transformation happens when it's being worked out in relationships with other people. That um, box of pure gospel breakfast cereal that we've had on the screen, it is not designed for you to just eat on your own. It's there to enjoy with friends. So let's get in and think about those new creation relationships uh, we're going to read from the end of chapter 5, though, before we get to chapter 6, because chapter 5 gives us the lead-in that we need. So from verse 25, Paul says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, it's the Spirit who brings about the new creation, so let's keep in step with, keep living out that new creation work that God's Spirit is, is doing in us. Verse 26, uh, result of that... Let's not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Just a quick comment about that. Because the false teachers who were influencing the churches in Galatia, because they had been saying, look, if you follow all of the Jewish customs and the laws, things like men getting circumcised, things like obeying the, the festivals and the Sabbaths, like the food laws, if you do all of those things, 
that will make you a better Christian than those other people who just follow Jesus, who just put their faith in him. Remember, (laughs) that's wrong. That's why we call them false teachers. It's not true that you become a better Christian or a higher level Christian. Paul's been arguing against that all the way through Galatians. But because that's part of what they'd been arguing, the result was um, you have people measuring themselves against each other, kind of checking each other out. Am I better than you? They're, They're kind of who's in and who's out? Who's a better Christian than the others? They become, well, it says up there, doesn't it? Conceited. Or if if you don't think you're doing well, perhaps envying others who are doing better than you. So that's important to have in the background as we come now to chapter 6. Paul stares all of that down and he says, no, don't have relationships like that. New creation relationships are going to look like this. Brothers, sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Not stand off going, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a holier person than that person. I mean, think about it. If you're relying on your own performance and your own obedience to be right with God, and you see a Christian brother or sister who's stuck in a sin, there's a risk, isn't there, that you would look down on them thinking, oh, I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm more righteous or holy than they are. You might be patting yourself on the back for your own self-control, that, that you are different to them proves how good you are in God's eyes. That's the person who's relying on themselves. But Paul's saying the, the person who's being transformed by the Spirit, that's what Paul means by you who are spiritual. It's not a kind of super spiritual elite. He's just talking about ordinary Christians who are being changed by God's Spirit, who understand that the gospel means that I'm more sinful than I'd ever dare to admit. But at the same time, I'm also more loved than I would ever dare to dream. That through the gospel, that person who's being changed by the Spirit, that person has humility, don't they? They know they're a sinner. They also have deep confidence because they know they're loved by God. That person has no need to pump up their own sense of righteousness, to point to their own moral superiority. That person then is in a position to genuinely help their brother or sister who is struggling. Now, we're going to come back to these early verses in chapter 6 in a second, but first I want to take us uh, through to verse 12 for a moment. Because for us to understand what this new creation relationships look like, we need to go back to what's right at the centre of the gospel. And Paul talks about that in the section from verse 12 onwards. Right at the centre of the message of the gospel is, of course, the crucifixion of Jesus. What does the cross tell us about ourselves and about God? Well, the cross says, my sin is so serious that the Son of God had to die in order to pay for it. There's nothing I could do to set myself free. There was no other way. This was a debt that I cannot ever repay. So the message of the gospel, the message of the cross, reminds me I've got nothing that I can boast in myself. 
But the cross not only says something about the seriousness of my sin, it also says something about the the magnitude, the hugeness of God's grace, of his kindness and mercy. See, the cross says not only that Jesus had to die, but that he was glad to die. And I just want to say to you, if you're counting on your own ability to be good enough for God, you are in serious eternal danger. I say that with all love and seriousness, but if if you're still counting on your own ability to be good enough, hopefully for God, you have not understood yet the seriousness of your own sin. That Jesus had to die for you. And so I want to call on you one last time. Come to Jesus and give up your pride. Make his mercy and his generosity the one thing that you do boast in. Stop listening to that voice in your head that says, well, yeah, that's right for other people, but it's different for me. You know, I, I have to somehow prove myself to God. That's not true. Instead of thinking that you, maybe you need to prove yourself to God, Look to the cross. See how much he's done for you. And then grab hold of that. Grab hold of it in the way that Paul grabs hold of it in in these verses 12 through to 14. I'm going to read uh, them and they'll be on the screen. But have a listen to what he's saying about the importance of the cross. He says, those who want to make a good impression outwardly, they're trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do that is because they want to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Their Jewish brothers and sisters, they don't like the cross. They want to show them that, no, no, you can be a Christian and be good because you, you do all the Jewish laws and stuff too. But then Paul goes on, verse 13, not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised so they may boast, in your, uh, boast about your flesh. Come on, guys, get serious. Look at verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, get the connection that's coming. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. There is a clear connection there between the cross and the new creation. The cross leads to new creation. The evidence of a new creation then shows up in a life that is shaped by the cross, relationships that are shaped by the cross. And that's what we're going back to at the beginning of the chapter. But before we do that, I want to say the new creation community that we want to be forming here at Epping Pressey, it's got to be a a community where our relationships with each other are increasingly shaped by the cross of Christ. So let's go back to the beginning of chapter 6. He says, Brothers, sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently because that is a way of doing what he talks about in the next verse. It's a way of carrying each other's burdens. If you're someone who says, God assesses us based on our performance and our obedience then the chances are you will stay away from other people's problems. I can't be responsible for their bad choices. They've got to take responsibility for that themselves. 
I don't want to get messed up in that kind of thing. But if you're being transformed by the Holy Spirit, if your life is shaped by the gospel and the cross, then you'll be someone who knows, no, God actually measures us on the basis of his grace. When he looks at me, even though I'm a sinner, what he sees as someone whose faith is in Jesus is the perfect obedience of his son, which has been credited to my account. Now, if that's the case, then that sets you free. That If that kind of new creation work is going on in your life, then you're free to help your brothers and your sisters in Christ. You don't have to worry about your own performance there. But again, what matters is not the theory, it's the doing of it. It's the serving one another in love that we saw last week. The Spirit's work of new creation then creates this new community where we grow to love one another as Christ loved us, where we serve each other sacrificially. I just want to take a moment to remind you of something that I hope you know. Maybe you haven't heard this before, but that is one of what we call our vital signs here at Epping Presbyterian. We've only been using that that language uh, since earlier on in the year, but these are the measures that we use to see if we're doing okay as a church, whether there is spiritual health in individuals, but especially in us as a group. And one of those vital signs is the presence of a clear and growing, genuine Christian community. How do you know if that's there? Well, what Christian community looks like, a lot of that is captured in these verses. So let's keep looking. Uh, When the main thing stays the main thing, There is no need to keep score anymore. It's not about who's in and who's out. There is freedom to gently help our struggling brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, We are free to give up our time and comfort to carry the burdens that weigh us down and thus fulfill the law of Christ, live as love as Christ loved us. Uh, When the gospel changing people's lives is the main thing for us as a church, then each of us is free to have a true assessment of ourselves and not be crushed by what we see in ourselves nor puffed up by what we see in ourselves. When the gospel changes us, when it's changing us and we keep that as the main thing, no longer do we have to find our value by comparing ourselves with other people, verse 4, because... Our worth, the astonishing evidence of our worth is seen not in how we compare to other people. No, our worth is seen, the evidence of that is seen in the wounds that are in the hands of the risen and ascended Lord Jesus, the wound in the side of the the risen Lord Jesus that he carried with him into glory. Remember in Revelation chapter 5, the Apostle John looks And he sees at the centre of the throne a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Our worth is shown there. We don't have to compare ourselves with others. And so if that's the case, we're free to carry our own load. Well, but hang on a second. Didn't verse 6 say we carry each other's burdens? Uh, Verse 2, sorry. Well, uh, let me just quickly say... The carrying, carrying your own load is different to the carrying of burdens in verse 2. So the burdens, it's not the same as the heavy burdens in verse 2. are more like an anvil that you're weighed down with. 
whereas the load that's referred to in verse 5 is more like the kind of daily backpack of our normal circumstances in life. Each of us has things that are part of our life that we have to carry. Sometimes there are heavy burdens upon us, and that's where we help each other out. Another way of summing up the main thing is to say this, the gospel changes everything. The gospel does. And I kind of hope that's going to be part of my legacy uh, here at Epping Prezi, to have helped you see and helped you learn how to think through how the gospel actually changes everything. The gospel is God's power not only for salvation of all who believe, but also for transformation, for this new creation that God is bringing about. The gospel gives you a new set of priorities, so it sets you free to be generous. And while verse 6 is up there on the screen, I want to thank you for your generosity to me and to our family over the last 10 years and 10 months and three days. Um, I said to the committee of management at the last meeting I was at a couple of weeks ago, one of the things I love about this church is that it's not a stingy church. Uh, There are some stingy churches out there and you guys, you're generous. Praise God for that. Keep being generous. Um, especially until the 14th of January, because that's when my term ceases. And beyond that, of course. Um, but not the, the gospel sets you free not only to be generous to those who are your teachers of the gospel, but to people in general. Have a look now at verse 9. Paul says, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, that relates back to verses 7 and 8, doesn't it? God can't be mocked. You reap what you sow. And so, sow this life of generosity and being good. Don't grow tired of it. And because you know that if you don't grow tired and you keep going in it, you will reap a a harvest of great things. Because that's true, then Paul goes on to say, look, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Now, that's everyone, right? Uh, That means there is no one who should be on the excluded list for you. There's no one who you can say, oh, that person's exempt from me doing good to them. It says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. But then he says, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We should be paying attention and going out of our way to do good to one another. That is one of our vital signs. It's a sign of thick Christian community. It's a sign of God's work of new creation. The gospel does change and is changing everything. Know that that's true. Work on that principle. I went back and had a look um, at my files on the computer yesterday and was just couldn't remember for sure but I I had it right the second sermon I preached here um, after my induction was in Philippians chapter one and in that sermon I encouraged you to think gospel well this is the same message really keep thinking gospel realize that the gospel is not just the ABCs, but it's the A to Z. It covers the whole of Christian life. The gospel changes everything. 
So, what about my last words? Four of them. Don't do a Maruchi door. Um, don't get so busy with everything else that you forget the main thing. Don't forget the one thing that brings true life, the one thing that gives us real hope, the one thing that has the power to change everything. Keep the gospel the main thing. Make sure that the thing this church boasts in is always the cross. Keep the main thing the main thing. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the freedom that we have because of the cross, because we know that Jesus had to die, that we are more sinful than we would ever dare to admit, but also that he was glad to die for us and for our salvation. We are more wonderfully loved than we could ever dare to hope for. And so, Father, we, uh, we pray that that truth would never be lost among us. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us, each of us as individuals, and, and also this church. I pray for my brothers and sisters here at Epping Presbyterian. Help them to keep the main thing the main thing. Help them to have the cross at the centre of their life as a church, and for that to be working out in all kinds of ways, transforming people and transforming this community of people. Father, we pray that this church would continue to shine like a light in the darkness. And Father, even though the darkness might seem to be getting deeper at the moment, we know that is the time when the light shines best. So keep doing your work of new creation among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.